This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. The Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. You have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not having fun doing it, you're going to give up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is the returning Darren Miller, formerly of CKY, currently of 96 Bitter Beings. This was a really interesting chat, and it was kind of funny because I've been trying to get Darren back on for a little bit, because in our first chat, and I say this in the in the chat with Darren, but I, I kind of want to expound upon it a little bit more here in the intro, because it is something that I've thought about for myself, and I think a lot of people probably go through this internally. You know, when Darren was coming on, it was kind of hot off the heels of you know, him not going back to CKY and the band kind of moving on without him and him kind of finding himself who he is as an artist. I mean, I know he knows who he is, but it was interesting because during that chat and it was done probably, probably three or four years ago at this point, uh, it was kind of in the beginning phases of the podcast, but it was one of those things where talking to him, there was still a sense of, from my, my end, um, a little bit of bitterness, no pun intended, and kind of self-discovery of trying to figure out, you know, like I said, who he is, what he wants, how, what's going to happen moving forward. And I feel like when you kind of hit that crossroad, you know, you can go, go a multitude of different ways. But I think the thing to kind of that I latched onto when thinking back to that chat and even when I got done doing it was, you know, this this feels like someone who is kind of lost currently and is kind of trying to figure out who they are now that the thing of who they were is gone. And 
I know I've talked about that on the show because I think it's really fascinating where when we get so wrapped up in who we are based on a thing, you know, we're, we're so-and-so from this thing. That's, it's really interesting when you lose that, like who do you then become? How much of you really was that thing? And I know like for me at times, like I've been known as the guy with the podcast and it's like, you know, I, I put on Twitter the other day as of when I'm recording this, you know, I had this thing of like, what if I just get up and I'm done? Like, what if I, what is the end look like? What will it do to me? Will I be fine not being the guy with a podcast or not known for doing this thing? And I guess I've kind of had to do that a multitude of times, you know, growing up in a small town, I kind of was the big fish, small pond based on the friend circle I had. And I really didn't enjoy that. And I, I kind of enjoyed moving to where I live now, where I became a small fish in a big pond. And I kind of had to traverse that and figure out who I was without any of my friends, without kind of that, without that connection of association through other people, through other things. And it's really where I found who I was, who I think I always had been, but I became more confident in myself. I became more confident in who I am and who I was to other people and what I wanted out of relationships. And I think that's why it's funny to think back to when one of my best friends came up, like him and his brother, and they were like, I've never seen you just be so like who I already knew you to be, but like outwardly with other people. And it really dawned on me that it it really took kind of moving away and kind of figuring out those things on my own. And I think that's where Darren was at the time I talked to him. You know, Synergy Restored as an album and the things he is doing with 96 Bitter Beings was kind of in its infancy stages at that point. So to now be on the other side of it and be able to talk to him and conveniently enough with an album title Synergy Restored, it was just, I was really excited to talk to Darren and and see you know, who he is now that he's on the other side of this. And I, I think that may sound really weird uh, to, to vocalize on, on a podcast where you're talking to someone, but I think that's one of the things I love about a podcast. And once you start having returning people come back on, is picking back up the conversation from where you, you left off, if you can. And to me, this is a great example of someone who has come out on the other side of... I'm going to put words into Darren's mouth. So I, I hate doing that, but I'm going to, like I said, it's from my perspective of how I felt talking to him previously, but I feel like gone are the the days of anger and maybe misguided or misplaced feelings and emotions. And instead he's been able to harness that to be creative and be the Darren. We all know him to be. You listen to the songs off synergy restored and, and it sounds like classic IDR. It sounds like classic CKY, which I mean, no, no shit. Darren wrote all that. So, I mean, not a big surprise, but it is, it's great to, to kind of see someone, you know, no, no pun intended again, you know, it's great to have Darren and have his music be around and be reminded of songs that sound like when I hung out with my best friends, some of which are no longer here and to be happy about it and to be on the other side of this and, and just be joyful that someone is getting to express themselves the way they were always meant to. All that said, let's get into my chat with Darren Miller, and I'll talk to you all on the other side of it.
So I think, you know, something actually really interesting about the new record. Um, I really latched onto the title, Synergy, Synergy Restored. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was really interesting about that conceptually, and I think maybe it's because I'm approaching, you know, like my eighth year of marriage, 13 years of being together with my wife and just thinking about relationships. Um, Congratulations. That's not easy thank to you. do. It, it is not. Um, but I think a lot of it is when I looked up the word, because I wasn't sure what the word meant itself. I thought I knew, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but it's the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations substances or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of the separate effects. Yes. And it's funny because when I, when I thought about that title and I thought about that word, it made me wonder what did it mean to you to call the record that? Because there's, I feel like there's a lot of ways, especially with your past that you could take that. So I kind of wanted to start there because I, I, I love words. I love language and I love just like talking about it with other people who I think have a good uh, appreciation of it. I'm in the same boat. I love the English language. And to be honest, I didn't know what the word meant either until somebody in the business told me, look, every band we were talking in the context of music. And he said, every band has a synergy at one point that they have at their peak. And very rarely can they get that back. And I don't think he was referring to me, but I had never heard the word. Now I see it everywhere. I see it at gas stations. I see it in commercials. I see it everywhere. And never before he had told me that word had I ever heard of it. So I took it to mean that synergy means that when people get together to do something, whether it's business or arts or music, anything, there's a certain point where they reach a plateau, a peak, where everybody that's going to ever be interested or enjoy it or take it seriously reaches that peak, and then it's all downhill from there, and it's nearly impossible to get back up. I love challenges. So even though it wasn't told to me in the context that I need to, to restore my synergy, I wanted to get that challenge of, I wanted to have that challenge of, you know, uh, coming back bigger than I ever have before in a, in a, in a business that's relatively not anything like it was 25 or 30 years ago, but you know what? That's the challenge and somebody's got to do it. And if it isn't me, it's going to be somebody else, but I'd like to have a part in it. So synergy restored is just pretty much a positive statement where I'm going to, I'm going to take, um, the time where I was doing my best, I'm going to grab that and I'm going to improve upon it and do better. It's funny when listening to you say that it's interesting to hear because like I haven't gotten the new record first and foremost. So I have only heard the singles uh, that have come out. Not that I'm aware of. I've gotten the singles. Like I said, the singles, like the last two times, uh, the two singles, uh, the vaudevillians revenge and the fire. Is it fire? Fire sky or fire. Vaudeville's revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got all the email blasts when those came out and then the subsequent one for the tour, um, which is when we tried doing this originally, but I didn't, I haven't gotten this as far as I know, I haven't gotten the records. I haven't gotten to listen to it yet. Um, 
So forgive me for not being able to talk uh, maybe a little bit more about lyrical ideas or themes or things. Um, but it's one of those that when you, when hearing you say that, it, it does make me, it's interesting to hear you say that because I, I don't think a lot of people a internalize challenges like that. And I think in spite of a lot of the adversities you've gone through uh, personally and professionally, I think hearing this stuff, it sounds like what I think you were, always planning it to be and maybe that was the thing is because I, I was thinking back to when we first talked we this was all a campaign at the time literally campaign and the campaign yeah. for this you were doing the gofundme so it's interesting that we're yeah yeah so i think at this point we're i think three or four years moved from the last time we talked and a pandemic and literally everything else that's happened mm -hmm. and it was interesting because i think even kind of talking to you then from my perspective, I remember kind of walking away feeling like you were doing it because it's what you know. You're a musician. You you play, you tour, you do all these things. It's what you know. But there didn't seem to be the same sense of what I'll say was a same sense of uh, really understanding who you are and what you do. It seemed like you were still trying to figure that out at the time and that what you were doing was kind of more, I'm just doing this because it's all I know. Whereas hearing this now, a couple of years later, I feel like it's like, oh, you figured it out. And I don't know if that was the case then. I don't know if the record was going to sound that way or if the time you've taken to do it, it it's metamorphosized several different iterations of these songs uh, to be what they are. But I had kind of wondered if that also went into the synergy restorative kind of not fighting yourself anymore of where maybe well, you were versus where you are now. I had spent so much time on autopilot. You know, when you're in a band that has a certain degree of success and money's coming in and you have popularity and the record companies please and they call you and they tell you, oh, well, now the record is up to this amount of copies. You know, it was all numbers. It was all based on numbers. And even though your intent is good to stay grounded and <laughs> to appreciate and this, I'm talking to all bands and all musicians. Even though your intentions are good to stay grounded and appreciate what's going on, you fall into a routine of touring, recording, talking to press, talking to fans. And eventually, no matter how hard you try, it becomes a routine in which it feels like just like getting up in the morning and going to Burger King, coming home, going to bed, getting up in the morning, going to Burger King. Burger King to work coming home there. It, it's, it's, it's inevitable. So I had to take a break. Now, whatever happened to me that, you know, I'd have to go over. I, I it's hard for me to even remember because it was so long ago, but whatever happened, I had to take a break I never stopped putting out music. I just did it by myself. I did a solo right. album. Acoustically. I had to take a break. I had a family. They're teenagers now. They're self-sufficient. So <laughs> I wanted to get back into it. So yeah, this is all I know. I know some other things. I mean, God forbid if every recording studio or every recording device blew up and didn't work, I'd want to write stories or books or do movies or something like that. But music is my passion and I can't live without it. It literally is. I was born with that bug from two years old. That seed was implanted in my head by my cousin who wanted me to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I look behind me and there's an Ace Freely poster. When I laid my eyes on that Chitty, or not, not no, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, <laughs> the 
bored the hell out of me. But when I laid, laid my eyes on that Ace Frilly poster, the seed was planted. It started to grow, and that was it. You know, two, two years old. I'm 46 now, so for 44 years, music has been my obsession. And I've done so many studies on it. I've, I've uh, read it as much as I can. I've experienced as much as I can. I've talked to people as much as I can who are in the business. I got interested in the business side of it, which a lot of bands don't do. Everything about it, other than, you know, being a music lawyer, an entertainment lawyer, I never really got into that. <laughs> but basically, yeah, I mean... When uh, the band got together, you know, I was excited. We all were. Um, we didn't have a deal. We didn't have anything to prove that we were even a band. And, um, you know, the fans were kind enough to contribute to that. We were able to get uh, recording equipment, all this stuff to, to make these records. And the first album, Campaign, we worked so hard on it. We recorded probably, I think, last I counted, it was 53 songs. Mm. And a 12-hour day recording is the best day ever. So after recording 53 songs and picking 10 or 11, picking another 10 or 11 for the second record, I wouldn't let anything slide that wasn't good enough. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much... It's all about doing the best that I can, that the band can, and getting it out there. And that's all that's important, is being happy with your work. And it's a bonus when the audience is happy. And I forgot the question. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good. It, it's, it's one of those where sometimes that's the, the – I used to load the idea of having people come back because – I was like, well, then you have you're always kind of talking about what was before. Let's talk about something different. Yeah, but it was a thing where. Well, I was going to say, but the interesting thing is, like, I've had some of my some friends that I've made through doing this show. I've had on three, four, five times now, and it's interesting because we pick up where we are now currently, and you kind of can listen to the conversation, and it feels like an actual conversation between two people who have talked before, where you're picking up, you remember certain things you're able to pick up on something like and like i said like thinking about where you were then it just felt like it you were at a point professionally where you're like oh i'll show you right and yeah it doesn't, it doesn't feel I'll like that me. Anymore to me. right and it feels like now it's like no i know i know who the fuck i am i know what i do now let me sh- let me remind you of what i why you love what i do and that's yes. what i feel like the difference from when we talked before where things were still kind of in the the planning stages the infancy i'll yeah. call it to now mm-hmm. where there's music and I can hear it. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't get the sense that the music was going to be sounding like this. And I didn't know if there was a progression internally with you that maybe it changed. Yeah. Well, there, you know what? There, I have a style for writing rock and roll, you know? Mm-hmm. And I hate the term rock and roll because it sounds <laughs> so 50s. You know, it's like, don't step, don't step on my blue suede shoes. You know, it, Rock and roll. I, I don't like that term. I'll just, I don't even know, know if I like the term rock. It's just, um, rock and roll is music that's more aggressive than something that's easy to, easy to listen to or maybe pop and a little bit sugary sweet. 
Everything right. beyond that is rock and roll. Hip hop is rock and roll. Rap, all that stuff. Country is rock and roll. All I wanted to do was what the only thing I know how to do. And I'm constantly trying to improve upon it. And I took it, I took it from where I was before with CKY and continued it. It wasn't by choice, you know. On the surface, the band and I stopped working together, but I had to keep doing it. The, what you hear in the in, in the music and in these two albums that we've done is what I do. It's not like I'm yeah. not trying to copy anything. I'm not trying to go back to the past and, you know, recreate something that was good because a lot of the stuff that we did in the past, I didn't think was that good. So now I'm taking this opportunity to try to make what, I did 20 years ago better now. And I feel proud about that because I think that, I think that we did it. I know that we did it. I think based on what I've heard, I, I agree with you. I think it's hard. I think I was going to say, I think you're in a very interesting and, and tough position because you have the career and the longevity where people like myself, you know, I'm, I just turned 38 like uh, two or three weeks ago, but um, I, had to look, I had to look at a calendar because it doesn't, it's just a day anymore. You're like, how, what day is it again? Yeah. Um, this is not my own it, birthday last year, so don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. I think a lot of us did last year. I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, it's one of those things, though, where I think you represent to a lot of people a time where the burdens of the world didn't happen to them yet. They were yeah. carefree, either living with their parents or just, you know, on their yeah. own, living the best time with their friends when that was a thing that you still did yeah. before everyone would hang out with these in front of your, face. Front of your face. And, I, and you know I, never, I have to interrupt you because no one has ever put that thought into my head. That is true. I think that I am lucky enough you might be lucky enough. I'm not sure. You're 38. Not totally sure, but I'm sure you had a few years before the internet came in and destroyed everything that was awesome about life. But yeah, we're lucky. We're lucky in that sense. And yeah, perfect age where I'm not completely... I, I, I haven't forgotten about the times before the internet where things used to happen naturally. You know, You didn't know what was going on. Um, unless you were with a group of people that had something going on, and that was it. You know, yeah. you didn't yeah. click. You didn't click on something to find out that somebody in Nova Scotia uh, just took a shit. You know, it's not stuff. Something like that. You know, it's not about. That's what everybody is about right now. And my hope is that the need to know about stuff that you're not involved in, which is what's been happening for. 10 years, it's going to happen today, it's going to happen tomorrow. All this stuff that's not important where you find out about things that aren't important and then you comment on them, usually in a negative way to get attention. I think that eventually things will swing, I hope to God, eventually things will swing around where people rediscover the idea of the only thing you have to worry about is the people around you, your friends, your family, and your immediate surroundings. You don't have to worry about some douchebag that is complaining about something 
that you don't agree with. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's not going to change anything. And that's the problem with the internet is it doesn't change anything. It just makes things worse. And people like to anonymously argue on the internet. And, you know, I'm not saying anything new or fresh. So I, I don't really want to go into too much detail, but most, of, I'd say 85% of people nowadays get all their information from the internet, whether it's true or not. And they argue with people that um, they don't agree with whether they're right or not. And it's just sad. And I'm, I, I'm basically here being, I guess, the perfect age as well as you are, the perfect age, to get people to fucking turn off their computers. Ironically, we're using that technology to do what we're doing right now. But turn off their fucking computers and their phones and just acknowledge what's going on around them, what's going on within their families. Do they have friends? Do they have plans for the weekend? Are they going to spend any time arguing with somebody that's anonymous while they're anonymous? It's just a joke. So I'm going to dedicate my life, my creative life, because I could easily just become a hermit and not do anything. <laughs> but I'm going to dedicate my professional musical, you know, if I want to do movies or act or whatever, I'm going to dedicate that to the point of trying to get people to realize that we're not old. And, you know, my dad used to say, why don't you play kick the can? Yeah, go kick the. Why don't you play kick the can? Yeah, Dad, that's before certain things were invented, and it's true. But I think that our generation does have the old views of looking at things that are better than what's going on now. That people would appreciate more than the new things that are happening. So I think the old ideas are better than the new ideas, where everybody's unhappy. You know. There's a lot of kids out there that don't know about hard rock and metal that if they did, maybe they'd be able to get some of that anxiety and that anger out. You know, kids are loaded with with hormones. You know, every anybody under 25 and under are loaded with hormones and they don't know how to to release them without it being devastating and deadly. You know, it's it's about it's about giving them an outlet. And you can't get that through Little Nas or Beyonce or um, <laughs> I don't know. There's no metal bands in the mainstream right now that kids are finding out about that are saying, "Fuck, man, this is cool. I don't have to go shoot up my school. I can go mosh and I can go stage dive. I can go mosh." And being on the last tour that we were on, they wouldn't let anybody stage dive. I had one stage diver the whole tour. And two mosh pits. And then when they started, somebody would come out and say, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. So basically, every angry teenager, every angry 21-year-old who's just started drinking at the bar, all these all these guys and girls, every, anybody, doesn't have this outlet for their anxiety and rage. And that's why they go anonymously on the computer and make threats and complain and argue. And music is more important than anybody realizes, probably even me. It's more important than I believe it has a certain importance that's really strong and really up there. But it's probably even stronger than that. 
And people need to realize that. And that's why I think that rock and roll, meaning bands, and metal, meaning bands, guitars, bass, and drums, vocals, need a mainstream push because these kids are not doing well. And I have three teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few things, actually, to that that you said that are kind of interesting talking points, I think. You know, I had the realization as someone who used to like book shows, I would go to shows and then I started writing about shows before, you know, doing this. Mm-hmm. And I remember at a certain point, like very vividly, there was a moment when I was writing about Janet Jackson. I was at a Janet Jackson's show. I asked mm-hmm. to cover it. The person was like, you're the token metal guy, so you're not covering it. I bought tickets because my wife and I wanted to go. Lo and behold, they didn't get a media credential. And I get an email like, hey, can you hurry up and cover this? Sure, I'm already here. And I remember What's during my, Black my, my, Cat. Wait, I'm sorry. Why did they assume that you weren't equipped to cover a Janet Jackson concert? I have Rhythm Nation on cassette. So I, Honest, Honestly, the funny thing not? is because I was just deemed the token metal guy. Like That was kind of what I was brought on to do was kind of talk to go to more of our hardcore and metal shows that we weren't covering really. And I think it was just a thing where look at me and you just assume, although I'm literally wearing a nice t-shirt, but it's Mm -hmm. one of those where I think like that happened a lot. Like if you look at a lot of the show reviews I did, I think I only did two or three hardcore metal shows and the rest of the stuff I did were not hardcore metal. And Mm -hmm. like I did one on little Wayne, I had like an inside scoop that he went to uh, a local skate park. Um, and skated before or after the show. I can't remember which, but it was just one of those things. Like I kind of got tired of being pigeonholed, but I remember during Janet Jackson's set, they're playing black cat. And like the whole band is obstructed by darkness. Basically they're in the back. And I started writing, like, it's really a shame. Cause you know, Terry, uh, Jimmy jam and Terry Lewis, you know, had their like all throughout this set. I'm just reminded of like how much of their imprint was on early eighties, you know, R and B. And a lot Mm -hmm. of it was, actually because of actual musicians playing the shit that you're hearing. And I was like, and it was really kind of a bitch to see only during the guitar solo. Did someone from the band come out and be kind of, kind of have front stage. And, you know, I've seen countless other people like pink and a lot of other people really make a point. Justin Timberlake, make it a point to here's my band. I'm introducing them the way that bands used to be introduced back in the day. There are certain yeah. pop artists that yeah, still do it correctly. I think they're the pretty girl that's, you know, up here and I'm doing everything. And, you know, but the problem is that a lot of the audiences don't want to see that. And my wife literally, cause I was, I was taking the notes on my phone and my wife put her hand over my phone, saw what I was writing. And she goes, look around this crowd doesn't give a fuck about the band. They're here to hear the music. They're here to be entertained. They're here to see that person they saw in a magazine. And I literally looked around the arena and like, I remember like four rows down, there was an elderly black couple dressed to the fucking nines. This was their night. They were going out. They were probably reliving high school memories together. And I was just like looking at the show completely differently at that point. And it really was one of the first times where I realized it's like sometimes We get in our own fucking way of enjoying the thing that's in front of us. But secondly, Mm -hmm. I think the thing that is uniquely different and needs to be addressed is going to hard rock or metal shows is a cathartic release. It's an outlet. 
And right. you don't get that same release going to a pop show, going to whatever, because you're there to be entertained and be distracted, for lack of a better term. And metal even a metal band in an arena, a metal band in yeah. an arena, like Metallica and in an arena is not this. I mean, of course, Metallica is going to draw an audience, but how many Metallicas are there? One. No um, metal band is as big as Metallica. Megadeth plays theaters, you know. At theaters, you can mosh and stage dive and yell things at Dave Mustaine. That's the part of the the concert going experience where you can get that anger out. And that's what's bad about arenas and festivals to some degree is that you can't have that face to face um, energetic communication between yourself and the audience. And I think that that heavier music. Um, doesn't work well in festivals or in arenas because you don't have that contact. It's energy giving to energy who gives their energy back to your energy and synergy restored. Exactly. And I think that, that, that needs to come back. And I want to help the you other, respond. I think one of the other talking points though, that's interesting about sort of what you were saying is, also, you know, you talk about like there, there's not really the avenue for people to find these things. And we're stuck right now in the in the place where Metallica just basically got like what the 19th bite at the apple <laughs> with Stranger Things. Yeah. But it's like I was just what was that? They try to cancel them or something. Every every metal band wants to be on Stranger Things because it's the only possible way that they see that they can get any mainstream acceptance, and that's part of the problem. If I'm looking at Stranger Things to make me main, you know, acceptable in a mainstream sense, that's the problem. Why am I looking at Stranger Things? I know nothing about Stranger Things. There's got to be a way where somebody puts a little bit of time and effort and obviously money has to be involved because any music that's popular right now that's on TikTok or YouTube or anything that pops up when you're trying to look for something else is obviously paid for and they make you want to watch that. Somebody has to step in and stop paying for these really ridiculous ads where the most important thing about the music is the ass in your face going like this or the outfits or the you know the the gucci bracelet or whatever i don't fucking know it has nothing to do with what goes in the ears no and it's really shitty and you know metallica doesn't need to be in stranger things i'm sure i guarantee i'd bet my life that stranger things went to metallica and said can we put this song in there and what they paid a price because now when people that are watching stranger things these kids who i'm talking about that need to realize that this is good for them. They're being exposed to something that's going to help alleviate that anger and anxiety and that feeling of being an outcast, what that does to you. But instead they turned it around and they found, I guess, I I don't even know because all I know is that somebody went back and found a video of Jason Newstead doing the Z cow white Pat, whatever the fuck it was. And then people went on a rampage to try and cancel Metallica. And that's what this, stranger things audience generation does to the musical artists they should be getting into so right this cancel thing like who are what is this what are these guys who doesn't 
25 and under, maybe 20 and under. They don't know Metallica. My kids know Metallica and hate heavy metal and rock. <laughs> they know who Metallica is. So I think that, um, I think Metallica should have said no to being a part of that show until mm. makers of that show and the audience of that show realizes that this isn't something that you should go back or even hate when it, when it's happening or disagree with. It's not about politics. Just listen with your goddamn ears. You know, most bands should be so lucky to be on fucking stranger things. We should all be so lucky to be on stranger things. Metallica was yeah. a weird band to choose because they don't need the, they don't need that exposure. <laughs> No, they don't. <laughs> I was kind of going at it from a different perspective of you have, and I think this is sort of the problem of I'll say more metal and rock than anything is that you saw all the people who then are being gatekeepy about the shit where it's like, well, fuck the new kids who are listening to Metallica, they're posers or whatever. And it's like, we're our own fucking problem in, in our own scene. Yeah, Instead of being supportive of people getting into something that we love, like all you're doing is shitting on the people who are like, oh, I just got into Metallica because of this thing. Instead of being like, awesome, well, let me show you this or let me show you Megadeth or let me show you like fucking death. Let me show you like I can show you so many different things. We can go down this rabbit hole of metal now that you understand and like something. In and this. that used to happen in the past. When I got into Metallica, I had short hair, terrible clothes, terrible sneakers that did not look like a metalhead. But when I had went to the mall and bought a patch that said Metallica creeping death on it and put it on the back of my jacket, people say you don't know who fucking Metallica is. I was like, yeah, I do. And the people that were asking me and telling me that I didn't know who Metallica is, I quizzed them. I'm like, name all the Metallica records. Well, there's Ride the Thunder. And I was like, no, it's Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All. The poser knew more than the person that, you know, thought they were a genius about it. So yeah, nothing has changed. There are still kids that are getting into it that are looked at as posers, but let them flourish just because they don't look like a metalhead. You don't have to have long hair. You don't have to have the metal shirts on. I want to fucking cut this off. <laughs> it's such a drag, you know, but it, <laughs> for some reason, hair is part of the whole genre of rock and, and on music in general. You know, even the dudes in ABBA had long hair. I don't know mm -hmm. why. It's I have to I have to say I really don't know why musicians have long hair, but that's off the, the topic. But I'm just saying that anybody that really likes this genre of music, you'll find out because they're going to stick with it and go somewhere with it. And if they're lucky enough, they'll possibly get a career out of it. I think there's, I think that's kind of the thing. Like, and you know, I, I'm kind of carrying the same thought over because sometimes, like, I, I feel like no one says anything, but it's just the thing that we think of in our head where we're like, oh, are we saying too much of the same thing or whatever? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of reaching this milestone for the show where like episode 400 is coming up, six years is coming up, like all within about a month of each other tentatively. And it's one of those things where I've said this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done where putting in the work, doing the sacrifices, doing all that stuff, I'm seeing it pay off. Like I literally have like 
Right. And I can't say that in a lot of things. Cause like, you can be fed the bullshit of having a job where someone's like, Oh, if you work hard and you sacrifice, you do that, you, you can climb the corporate ladder. And then for whatever fucking reason you don't. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, I, I have made a lot of connections within the industry and I was making the comment to someone yesterday who they're like, Oh, I'm leaving the job doing this and I'm going to go do this instead. And I was making the comment about like, that'll be an interesting change of pace. And then we got to talking about how I woke up the other day, tweeted randomly. I was like, I, Cause I woke up in a funk and I just kind of thought about like, had the mentality of like, what if I just ended everything? Like, what if I ended the show? What does the end look like? Do I change who I am? I'm still me. I still do the same things I will do. I just won't exist in this medium to other people. And a mm -hmm. handful of people tweeted back. It'd be really sad to see it be done. I really enjoy the show. So on and so forth. And that's honestly the most feedback I've really have ever gotten on this. Like I get some here and there over the years, but really it just exists and I see the numbers and it does what it does. But I was making the comments to someone, I go, you know, this never was about hitting numbers. I go, in the truest of senses, if I was a band, I'm probably at the, the, the club level, maybe a small theater level band. Like, that's where I'm at. I may get offered every few years, like an opening slot on an arena run. It's not really going to do anything for me, but it's, it's a favor. It's a big look tour. Might gain some new friends, may, new fans. And I go, but that's okay. I literally understand like that is a career and you can have a long career doing that. And I can continue to do this and it's fine. And I go, but I think there are some people who can't accept that reality. Like they, they just want to keep pushing it to wherever they think they can go. And maybe they've already hit the ceiling and just aren't aware of that. But it's, it's more of thinking about it in life perspective of it's okay to like hit a ceiling and then just kind of be like, this is okay. Like I got way further than I ever fucking thought I would. Right. Let me relish in everything I've done and am doing and be happy with the successes that I'm having versus lamenting the things that I'm not going to be able to do and ruining the thing that I have currently. Right. You start to resent the, your old self where the, yeah. where, you know, yeah, I understand. I totally understand that. And that's why I'd say 90% of bands end when they realize that they're not as big as they were. And that means they're not about the music. They're about the money and the numbers, which you said. Yeah. Um, I was certainly, my band was certainly bigger than my band is right now. But what they're not understanding is you can restore that synergy. It's possible. It's a challenge. It's not, it's hard work. But wherever you were, and believe me, I mean, I was in arenas opening for Guns N' Roses. So I know. You know, I had a top 40 record in 2005. I understand. That wasn't the point of it. It was cool to see that. You know, it was cool to be in those arenas opening. But my passion is music. It's not numbers and all that. So I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because I feel like I can't compete with what I did. I'm doing what I'm doing, A, because I love it. And I B, I think I can, I can beat where I've been at my highest point. And that's what the album's all about. And music is music. People hear it and they either like it and get it or they don't, or they like it, get it and stay with it, or they don't get it. And later on they find out they, they, they love it. So basically I'm here to just support the genre. I'm here to carry on with my legacy because people, nobody wants you to stop unless they hate you and if they hate you <laughs> they know you and if they know you 
it's because they don't want you to stop. So anybody that's spending it, the last thing you want is for somebody to not know who you are and not care whether you continue or not. The, the, the biggest thing that I've realized within the last five years, because it took me a long time to realize this, that the people that spend time hating you spend just as much time hating you as the people that love you spend loving you. There's no difference. The worst, the worst thing is to find out nobody cares, that somebody doesn't care. So it's all about setting your own goals. I've set my own goals. If it, if it doesn't happen, I'm cool with that. Not going to stop me. I'm going to continue to do it. There's always going to be a band that that's working with me. You know, there's no shortage of talented musicians. I love the guys I'm with now, and we'll see how long they can handle this because <laughs> it's not easy at all to, you know, be in your 35th year in this business, and your goal is to challenge and compete with. The, the peak of where you were 25 years ago, but that's not what I'm about. I'm not about, you know, beating myself. I'm about continuing because it's not, it, it, it's really is when it boils down to it, it's about the music. Yeah. I would love to be the biggest metal and rock band, but at the, on the other side of that, I would just love to be able to take a part in this whole genre coming back and be at the the last person that gets credit for that happening that's all i want i want i want people to rediscover aggressive music so that they don't have to go around shooting up schools or bullying or hating on not online anonymously it's worthless and there's no future in that there's no future in obviously shooting up schools. That person, that person's done. Whoever does that, a lot of those people are done. But there has, there's a way to get out the aggression, and music yeah. is a big part yeah. of it. It's so important, and people don't realize that. Some people don't even. They're like, I don't know any music. That's ridiculous. It, it's so medicinal. It's so therapeutic, and people need to realize that it's the best kept secret of humanity. Is because you can relate to the artists, whatever kind of music that you like, you can relate to it and it makes you feel something. And it'll either cause you to do something positive or it will make sure you don't do anything negative. It's kind of baffling to think that there are people, and I know them too, that are just very quote unquote casual music fans where they're like, I don't really listen to music. And I'm like, what kind of fucking life do you have? Like, do you just walk around like a goddamn monster with no, no soundtrack idea. to anything? <laughs> well, you know, sports do it for people too. That's why, you know, football is so violent because they, you know, boxing is violent. You know, there's so, hockey is violent. It's, it's watching something else be violent so that you don't have to. Mm. Although <laughs> hockey fans can get, you know, riots happen from, those kinds of sports just and happened riots, the other day. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure it did. It probably happens once a week, but, and riots happen with music too, but you know, that, that takes it too far, but you know, for a kid that's 12 years old sitting at home crying cause he doesn't fit in and he's bullied and he doesn't know, you know, where he's supposed to be. 
needs to find some music that he can he can or she can relate to and go from there. It's very educational, it's very medicinal, it's therapeutic, it saves lives. And I know I sound ridiculous saying that, but if I didn't know that, I wouldn't still be doing it. Because right. I'd be I'd be I would have been dead 20 years ago if I wasn't doing what I was doing. And that's not just that, that's 100% true I'd be dead. Kind of switching gears a little bit. A couple of different things <laughs> please, I know. Please do. <laughs> you know you you've you've mentioned your kids a couple of times, you know, having teenagers. Mm-hmm. How has it been, you know, to kind of I guess I'll preface by saying my wife and I don't want kids. We don't have kids, but I am very aware of friends and so forth that do and have had them, you know, in most of my life growing up that mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing where children allow you to see the world kind of in an unfiltered way. Like they speak their minds typically, but you also kind of get a second crack kind of at childhood at times or reliving different parts of your own life. How has it been, especially with teenagers now, how has it been kind of, I guess, getting a second teenage, uh, life or seeing maybe your parents, uh, through the eyes of you as a parent now? Well, my parents, you know, were like great grandparents and that's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, on them. It's just that back then we didn't have the technology to go and to see what parents were, unless we were watching leave it to beaver or something, you know, my three sons, some, some TV show from the fifties, you know, uh, the generation gaps back then were, humongous compared to now because we're able to keep up with with um for me as a parent as a dad i can be friends with my kids instead of be their father unless i need to be their father you know but this is where i see where hopefully what i'm talking about is legitimate because I see it through them and I meet their friends and their boyfriends and their girlfriends and all this stuff. And I see where sometimes where the pain is, where the happiness is, where, where they're at, how most of the things that they are entertained by are on TikTok. You know, I understand that. I understand the business model of a TikTok or a YouTube. I didn't before. But now that they're of age, being high school students, I'm more familiar with what the hell is going on there. And that's where I get uh, a lot of the knowledge that I maybe sometimes wish I didn't have or I'm glad that I did have. But I'm not completely detached from going on with these kids because I have three of my own. And ironically, they don't give a shit about music at all. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't push it. I know that they have friends that do like music, and these are usually, you know, kids, guys in high school that are, you know, angry or anxious, and they're listening to the wrong music to get around that. And I would love to take one of my daughter's friends aside and say take this, take it home, listen to it. 
or here's the link to this. Check it out. You know, go home and play it. Tell me if it speaks to you. I don't get involved. I don't interfere in that sense because it would be really creepy. But I would love to do it <laughs> because you know it's creepy because most people wouldn't understand why I'm doing that. You know, they would take it the wrong way as of everybody takes everything the wrong way nowadays. So I don't want to do that, but <laughs> it, it, it's something that I wish uh, somebody with a little bit, and I hate to say it, it has to be money. It has to be money. You have to pay to get something in front of these kids because the underground used to be the underground back in the eighties and then it would catch on and then it became mainstream. But I see it hard for that happening now because things only get bigger. If you pay YouTube and the social media outlets to make it bigger, because that's mm -hmm. where everybody's looking. You know, the underground, the underground can't get bigger without the social media outlets. And so I think that somebody needs to, to step in and spend some time to kind of get rid of this shit crap garbage, this pop garbage where it's all about watching this ass in your face shake. That doesn't do anything for anxious, angry kids. Just, I would think it would make them angrier <laughs> about all that. It's about getting them to hear stuff that they wouldn't hear if somebody didn't make the opportunity possible and it's ads actually ads. I don't, don't think, I don't think work. I think somebody <laughs> needs, to, I, somebody needs to pay YouTube to play Megadeth's wake up dead constantly for a month and not let anybody else, not let any other videos be, be watched. You go on YouTube, Megadeth's wake up dead shows up. And that's it. You can't search. You can't click. It. That's all that happens. Can you imagine what would happen if that happened? It'd be the biggest record ever. Peace sales yeah. would be the record. Would be bigger than Thriller by the end of the week. It's funny, like thinking about things like that. Like I, I was talking to a friend, uh, joking with him when yeah. I saw him at a show the other day and he was like someone was like oh why haven't you had him on your show and then he said he joked about something and i was like no it's cool i know who you guys are like you're a local band still and i go but i saw you guys on hate five six and i don't know if you are aware of who sunny is or what he's doing but sunny is uh, a dude that goes around and basically <laughs> what was that hate five six yeah oh like no i don't I might, okay. I just don't remember. Today's Beer Minute is brought to you by Starving Artist Brewery, who share a simple belief you should judge beer and not people. Today's beer is a collab between Untitled Art and XUL Beer Company. It's their German chocolate cake stout. Coming in at 8%, this pastry stout really takes your taste buds on a ride. With the decadent chocolate cake flavor with subtle notes of coconut and pecans providing a nice sweet back-end flavor that will keep you sipping until the very last bite. Thanks to Starving Artist Brewing, who reminds you to support your starving artists. And please, always drink responsibly. And now, back to the show. So basically, he has become sort of a documentarian of the underground metal and hardcore scene over the last probably 
five or six years, I think at least. Um, and he travels and, and goes to like different shows, festivals and stuff like that. Like, you know, this is hardcore and, and all those kind of things. But he has, and he's curating basically a collection of bands from all over the world. Like he went over to Japan to go uh, record this band called Sand. Uh, that's like a Japanese hardcore band that sounds like something straight out of 93, like biohazardy kind of yeah. like hardcore, East Coast hardcore, ironically. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten to the point with like the Patreon that he has where, you know, people are supporting him financially to go record and edit and get all these things and employ some people to a degree. Like in the last, like, I think couple months, he got to, he got personally invited to shoot Raise Against Machines, like concert, like a couple of shows on the tour they were doing. Uh And it's one of those, like, where I'm like, it's shit like that, that kind of makes me still believe that hard work, things that will cut through the bullshit will eventually cut through the bullshit, but you just have to be that fucking good. But I think it will, I think it can still happen, but I, I also just. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times there's just so much like, it's why I honestly, like, again, another conversation I had yesterday, it was, it's why I'm just like, I don't like, I could make this podcast so huge. If I wanted to dump in a fuckload of money on ads and, and creating extra content for all these different socials and so forth. And like I said, I go, but if the goal is to get someone to listen to this whole show, what is a a two minute clip going to do? Are they going to go listen to it? Probably not. Uh, I go, well, I have a fuckload of, I've tried and they do not. (laughs) Um, And all it does is just take me away from the thing that I actually enjoy doing. But I think there, there is, but if he can go around, he can go around interviewing and doing this documentary about unknown underground bands. Sorry to cut you off. It's not a documentary. Basically what he's doing is he's filming live sets. So it's live sets of all these different bands. That's what it is. So when I say documenting, it's basically, filming all these live sets of all these different bands in the underground and hardcore scene over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Okay. So the point is, is that if he's going around and spending time with these bands that nobody knows, and then eventually gets invited by rage against the machine to work with them, same thing can happen to you. Same thing can happen to me. The scariest thing about this genre is there's nobody that's going to replace the bands that are in their sixties. There's no up-and-coming bands. There's no Metallica going on. The closest thing is Ghost, and who knows how old those guys are. Once Testaments and Exoduses and the Metallicas and Slayers already given it up, you know, once Clutch and Guar and all these bands are have decided, well, right, we got to retire. You know, Kiss definitely needs to retire. <laughs> After they're gone, it's going to be even harder. Because there isn't going to be anybody to say, well, look at them. That's the reason that we're trying to tell you to listen to this music. You know who Metallica is. You know who these bands are. We're trying to carry their flag and come up. After those bands are gone, who is there going to be? That's why so, I'm involved. My my goal is either to be the, the band that, and I'm not young, but at least I have another 20 years in me to do this. I can do it for another 20, 25 years. Trust me. But is it going to be me? Probably not. But I want to help participate in encouraging uh, kids to start to play instruments, to start to get together in groups of four. You know, that's not happening. That's the thing that needs to change is that people need to get together in groups 
to make themselves stronger. And that's not something that's being encouraged, nor is there any way they could ever find out how to do that unless they're introduced to the whole idea of being in a band, to have the confidence to be an artist, to have the confidence to be a solo artist. I mean, these are all work ethic things that are in the past until somebody fucking bucks up and pays or whatever gives the promotional opportunity to educate these kids that they can do this. Because I don't know what these kids are going to do. They're going to practice scales and all that shit and put it on YouTube, but not have any idea how to write their own song. You go to Burger King, you can't even get your order right because these these (laughs) kids aren't working. They don't know how to do their jobs. No. Can I can I pose to you a a question? Because I feel like you'll legitimately answer it and not just give some industry fluff as to why. I don't fluff. I know, so that's why I'm interested to ask you this question. So I saw a friend of mine went to the re-release of the Anvil documentary and I commented on his post. I was like, I didn't take you for an Anvil fan. Uh, You know, then that kind of spurred the talk. Wasn't really saw the documentary. My question is this. I remember watching that documentary and it was one of the first times where even at the age I was probably my early twenties at that point where Mm -hmm. I realized there's friends you make in the industry and then there's the business and they never usually get to go together. I, why is it, or why do you feel like, and we'll use Metallica since we've been using them. I remember when that doc was getting pushed, it was like featuring Lars featuring James. Like they would show the little interview clip. So I thought they were heavily involved in it. They were in like the first 25 fucking seconds and weren't to be seen ever again. And I remember thinking Metallica is one of the biggest fucking bands in the world who they why just won't say they they're on tour. Why won't any band that's at a certain level where they don't have anything to fucking lose? Why won't you take out these bands that you love so much and you're friends with? Why the fuck won't you do it? I have an answer for it. And it's really sad. It's because, um, rich people are addicted to money. And even if, um, they support something if they're in mu- if they're musicians and they're very 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 successful and they were even um, inspired by musicians that never became successful and need help in documentaries such as hey this is a band called Anvil that's been around for thirty years they didn't get what they deserved they need help you would think that all the ba- like Slash. And Lars would say, you know what? Let's take Anvil on tour. I don't know why. I All I can say is that it's, it's um, they want to, I think with Lars and Slash and, and all those, all those people, they wanted to talk about Anvil when Anvil, they wanted to talk about Anvil back at the time when Anvil inspired them to go on and do their big thing. They don't want to talk about An- where Anvil is now. Yeah. They wanted. To, they just wanted to talk about, and God knows what kind of prodding it took to get them to even say that in the documentary. And that's the thing is that money is addictive, and when you get a certain amount, when you have fifty three million dollars, you're like you. You start to say to yourself, "Why don't I have fifty six million dollars?" And it just becomes a numbers game. Gene Simmons is seventy five years old. And isn't happy with the amount of money that he has, which means he's not happy. He'll never be happy 
because he no. probably has $171 million and is pissed off that he doesn't have $180 million. But by the time he gets $180 million, he's going to be in the ground. So what the hell is he spending his time on? Why is he making Paul Stanley go out there lip sync every night? What the hell are they doing? Why don't they just go home and enjoy the rest of their lives? Their short well, lives. As I don't Gene know. said, it's because he doesn't have friends. So what is he going home to? <laughs> no, he, but you know what? It's funny. He, he takes pride in saying things like that. I don't have friends. Um, I don't need friends. He doesn't need friends. He does need family. And he doesn't need to respect his family. It's all about money, 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 money. I admire the work ethic. I just don't admire what he expects to get out of it, which is more money. Not going to do him any good. You can't take it with you. When you no. die, the money dies. And that's why that I wish that bands that got so rich, filthy rich off of doing something 30 years ago that is no longer relevant today would put some of that money back into trying to promote the same exact genre and music that made them successful because it's hurting. But at the same time, I have to say Anvil, I have many Anvil records. They're not very good. And that's the problem. If the, if that documentary had been about a good band that wasn't getting what they deserve, that would be a different story. Anvil might have inspired a lot of bands to do something that they all ended up doing better than Anvil. I love Anvil. I love Lips. I love Rob Reiner. But it's the the logo, the name, the songs, the vocals, they're just not that good. And the, the one album that I do like is um, Strength of Steel that has Hit Between the Eyes on it because it's in the movie Sleepaway Camp 2. I love that song. It's a great song. And that album's okay. But Anvil has like 15 albums or something, and none of them are any good. So in a way, anybody that watches that documentary about Anvil, I'd say it's not that horrible of an idea that at the end, you would say to yourself, okay, this band isn't getting anywhere because they're not that good. Yeah. And that's not, I'm not, I don't mean any disrespect because look what happened. They got that documentary that re revived their career, but they're, they're kind of like the weird Al of metal, <laughs> the weird of metal. They're not a good band. In my opinion, they have good songs. They have like 20, 15, 20 albums. But of all those albums that I've heard, all of them, Hit Between the Eyes is the only song that is even remotely likable. It's just too much of a joke. It's, it sounds like Green Jelly or uh, <sighs> Weird Al of Metal. But Green I jelly. love them for that. I like them for that because the documentary yeah. came of it. And now, you know, everybody got to find out who Anvil was. But the reason that they didn't make it without that documentary is because they just simply, to me, are not a good band. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And it's funny you mentioned Green Jelly because they were a band that was presented to me to bring through. And I was like... You just played with them. <laughs> did you? Yeah, is, it's a joke I mean, band. Well, yeah, uh, well... Yeah, and yeah. the way that uh, 
God, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, it that this the guy, the only guy left, the singer dude, whatever. Um, him no, and his I wife, did. essentially. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, then I don't feel bad saying this. <laughs> that dude was a fucking dick. Like, I didn't want to book the show. Someone that he knew who didn't have any ties to an actual venue then came to me and they were like, Hey, we think we could put this here. You have ties to this legit venue. What is it going to look like to get it there? And I was like, Oh, I'll come in and I guess I'll help you. But like, I'm not, I'm not putting on the show. I don't give a fuck about it. And then yeah. it just turned into me and the, the guy doing it. And he's like, okay, so yeah, uh, I want this. I need, I need like, and I understand having, you know, certain requirements to, to put on the show you put on. Like I need a stage of this size. I need this guarantee. I need these things. But when you're coming to me and like, you're like, okay, yeah, we need like eight grand guaranteed. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I need, I need like, this and I was just like, literally told the dude, I was like, fuck you, dude, you have one fuck song. You. And the only reason anyone knows of it is because <laughs> all these years later is because Maynard from tools on the fucking thing. Be real. I would be willing yeah, to do know maybe, that. Yeah. And I was like, I'd be willing to maybe do 1500 maybe with a back-end deal to get you a little bit more so you'll actually promote the show as well little per inside promoter trick uh if you're a small independent promoter on how to get people to actually promote their shows but then i was like dude like you're asking like your rider demands are outrageous you're asking for a fucking hotel like i can no, put you I up know in my who house. you're talking about i know who yeah. you're talking about it was the guy that got up on stage and screamed the same word over and over annoyed everybody i know who green jelly was you know, but who they are now, I don't think has any connection to their past. I don't think that no. anybody that was involved in it is involved in it now. So you just get this arrogant guy who is delusional and thinks that, okay, I'm in green jelly. This band that was once, you know, had a platinum record. I can, I can be delusional. And that's the problem is he's not going to get anywhere because he's arrogant and delusional, delusional being the, the worst part of all that. Yeah. arrogance you know but i think that what's interesting is that of course he doesn't have you know anywhere near the authority to demand those things from you anywhere near and you're going to say no to him and a lot of people are going to say no to him and that's good they should they should send him <laughs> back into his desk job or whatever you know working at costco or whatever happens um, a lot because that's just proof that you don't know the business. But on the other hand, if what he was doing ended up being a success, then he would be a genius. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, like and if you don't, what, what's going to happen? You know, being delusional and arrogant does get people to places they shouldn't be. Yes. So, you know, I think that if people have this an idea in their minds, if musicians and bands have this idea in their minds, whether they're a band from 1991 or they're a band from 2022, if they have this idea in their mind that a certain thing is going to happen, well, then they're way ahead of a lot of people that don't have that you know that don't have that um confidence uh to get where they need to be now we of course we're laughing at green uh green jelly and green jello or whatever there are the singer whoever he was or is 
We played yeah. with them. It was hilarious because it was embarrassing for us to see that they really didn't know what was going on with the business. But you know what? We ended up having a good time and something to talk about. So whether or not Green Jelly, you know, succeeds in coming back or they fail because of that that knucklehead juice bag <laughs> remains to be seen. But there's been worse cases of delusional, arrogant people that have had success because of the way they act. So you can't really say, you know, I doubt I, for them. I doubt it because I know the guy, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you have to, at least they're trying, you know, the takeaway from that is that at least there's one more rock metal band trying to do something, trying to get more money than they deserve, trying to book <laughs> It's like we need all the help that we can get at this point. But I also feel like that's that's sort of the detriment and the downfall too, right there is where it's like you're trying, but you're also making it so fucking impossible to actually succeed by asking for more than you probably need because you're like, well, if I could possibly pull the wool over on some new guy who probably doesn't know Dick, because well, I'm I'm who I am or play like. Kind of another instance, too, in my short booking career, I had almost booked Naughty by Nature, and I had just seen them opening for uh, DMX and Slick Rick and uh, Rock Him and all them a couple months before when I was trying to do this. And I got pretty far, like literally to the point where a contract was issued with the writer and all that. And I was like, I'm not. And again, I don't care about saying numbers anymore because fuck it. Who cares? Um they wanted like with the writer included wanted about 30, $32,000 worth of shit between the guarantee, which half was due like immediately. And then the other half in cash an hour before they'd go on, which I mean, I totally understand that as well. Um, secure the bag, make sure you get it. But it was funny when I was talking with the guy that was booking them, I would like look through the writer and I'm like, most of this shit is pointless. Like I was like condoms. I go, I literally watched Tretch just throw them into the crowd. I'd rather you take that off and I just give you the money. I don't need a, a stage prop, the, essentially. They're stuck in the past. They're using the rider that they got when they were at their peak. But at least, you know what? The promoter, whoever books them, all they have to do is say no. And that all that yeah. ends. That's over. Just say no. If they're so, so started- delusional... If they're so delusional that they think that they deserve the same guarantee and the same rider that they had when they were at their top, that's their problem. Just say no, and it's over. They have nothing they can do. Say goodbye. So the can't do it. The crazy, the if crazy thing does. was, and it made me realize how much of a used car salesman that some this part of the industry is, and I guess all of it really. But it was funny because I was like, "Well, yeah. I, I really feel yes. like I can, I could pay this." I honestly think with the show I'm putting together, with the capacity, I know it's going to sell out. This is around the 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 pre-sale, and if we have walk-ups, it will be this. This is what I, I genuinely think we could sell this for. We could make good money. You guys, basically, I'm not making dick on this, like, at all, which isn't the point of booking the show anyway. But it was sure. this thing where I, which I was like, this is where I'm coming at. This is what I think I can legitimately offer you, and I'm not overreaching or overextending in any way, shape, or form. And then the guy comes back to me, and he's like, well, for that amount of money, we'll do, like, a 35-minute set. And then I was like, people would be pissed if they paid almost forty dollars, forty dollars to play a four hundred. That's the length of the set is for the audience. It's not for the booking. 
It's not for the venue. I know. I know. That's right. But he was like, oh, that he goes at that price, that'll get you a 35 minute set. And I was like, okay. So then when I was kind of negotiating time for money, I made the comment. I go, well, okay. Like, so the set I saw, they only played three of their own. And it was basically a, a karaoke covers set. Like they did some Tupac. They did, you know, hits of the, the era. And they're like, oh, well, you're what's known as a niche fan. We're not going to play. That's the same set you're going to get. And I was like, I'm not paying that kind of money for a cover set and three originals. Like Just I can pay no. a local fan that for a hundred dollars. So then the guy goes, okay. And this is where I came up with the used car salesman. Then he goes, well, if I can't get you into a naughty by nature for 32,000 and you're looking at this price $32,000 for naughty between, by nature. Are you fucking between, between the writer and the guarantee, it was break, it broke down to about $32,000. Um, 32,000. They should be so lucky. Well, apparently they do because random resorts and shit pay to have them, I guess. I don't know, but it was funny. He wow. goes, so I can't get you into naughty by nature, but he goes for five grand. Would you either take uh, uh Warren G or uh, an RIP, uh, he goes, would you take Bismarck? E? And I literally thought to myself, I was like, is just a friend or regulators worth five grand? <laughs> and can and can I sell it to where I don't lose money? And these I remember artists, just thinking. These artists can't separate where they are, were with where they are. Yeah. I think they're trying to charge the same amount as they did when they were on top, they don't know the difference because they're not business oriented. 32,000, yeah. even for naughty by nature. And I don't know much about that pop hip hop, the eighties, nineties hip hop thing, but I know that I would not pay $32,000 to have <laughs> naughty by nature play because they're banking on nostalgic audiences yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, that's and that's expensive. what the, the the booking agent basically literally told me was that like you're like you're a niche fan who actually owns records, knows more than the three or four hits they have. Well, you like, really you want like, to have them there, and I did, and then I was, and I was like, in, in our local rap community, plus with the person that I was going to put you on that can sell out this venue by himself. So maybe we we strike up a deal with the bigger room, uh, you know, the intersection. I know you guys have played there. That it's one of those where it's like maybe we work out a deal where it's like, hey, I know this is going somewhere else. We can maybe up, you know, play into the bigger room. You know, we can we could do that potentially if the ticket sells that well. Like Did if you're they, willing to work with me. No, fuck no, they didn't want to work with me. Of course not. <laughs> they were Did again they just sell, trying to sell. Did you make thirty two thousand dollars? I didn't book the show. They never came around, and I don't think I've seen them do any touring since. So I think they play spot they shows at best. Um, but I think they, they try to think take very, advantage of they try to take advantage of their fans that are now parting part of the booking industry that will use their their um, memories of the band and how big how much they were into the artist back then and not realize they're not worth as much. They're just trying to take if they score one show with those demands, they've won. Exactly, and it also says, yeah. Hundred percent, and that's that's really, actually the the final nail of my booking career, uh, where I was like, I'm fucking over, I'm tired of being fucked over, or tried to be fucked over, like I don't understand shit. Was I did an all local show because I also got tired of people saying there's no good local bands. I put together an all local show at a 420 cap room here in GR. We did 40 less. We we were 40 away from selling it out. The one one of the bands, all of them were local to here. One band wanted a guarantee, and I was like, I'm not paying you a guarantee to play a local show. Um, 
However, they did sell, like they basically sold half of that venue by themselves. But when I went to settle the show out, this one dude, like I went to settle everything out and the person uh, advancing the show was like, you're short like this amount of money or this amount of tickets. I need one or the other. And I was like, I, I was given everything by all the bands and the stuff I had myself. So then I went back. They're like, oh, no, said band had an extra like 100 tickets. And I was like, what the fuck? So I went to the dude at like as the show's pretty much wrapping up and I'm like, do you have an either extra hundred tickets or the money for this? And he goes, yeah. And then pulls out a wad of cash and like three tickets. And he goes, we wanted to see if you were going to fuck us. And I was like, so your goal was to then fuck me. And then, so I walked in back in, settled out the show. And then I, I paid everyone accordingly. So like that band sold half of the fucking venue. So I gave them $1,500 because I was like, you did the fucking work. Here's your money. And I paid every band a couple hundred dollars. I think I walked away with like 250 paid everyone way more than I paid myself. And then I saw the dude a week later. Uh, I was talking to someone in the band and the guy goes, hey, who are you? And I was like, really, really? We're not even a week removed from this fucking show. I'm probably the only guy that's ever going to pay you $1,500 to play your own fucking town. Really? You can't even remember who I am? Jesus they can't Christ. remember like, how many people they've they've tried to scan, you know. And it was just one of those where I was like, they don't become faces. They don't become faces. They just become people to talk at. They don't look at them. And it no, just made I, me realize I was like, everything in this this scene, this industry, is, is all about what you can get off of somebody, and that's just not how I am. And I'm tired of the egos. And so I was like, I'd rather and parlayed it into this, but it's like, those are the kind of stories I don't, I, I've never told those stories on the podcast. Cause I'm like, there's no point in telling it because it, I don't know, it's kind of gross, but it's like maybe more stories like that need to be told. Cause a, it shows how I actually know a lot of the things that I know. Cause I fucking have done it and I've been there. But secondly, I think it shows the, the shitty underside of like the industry where it's like all you, if you have the purest intentions to do something good, with either connections you've made or wanting to be a, a part of your local scene and in, in a bigger capacity, if you're not a musician, all it turns into is everyone trying to fuck you any chance they can get whenever they can. And it's fucking right. sad. It's because nobody trusts each other. The bands don't trust the promoters. The promoters don't trust the bands. So that's why a deal has to be made. You will, you will make this amount of money if you play this amount of time. Yeah. Whether you sell it out or not, you know, back in the day, we would get a guarantee. And if we hit a certain amount of ticket sales, we would get a bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when we were in Europe years ago in, in London at some club, back when I gave a shit about numbers and I was an arrogant dickhead, <laughs> I knew what, at that time, I knew how many people it would take for us to get a bonus. So Hmm. what did I do? I walked around that venue and counted every single person in there. It was 800 something. Okay. And there was a deal that at 500 above, we would get a certain amount. Now the guy of the door, the Hmm. promoter came back to us later that night and said, yeah, there was 363 people here tonight. I was like, you're really going to tell me 363 people because I counted over 800. It's my word against his. It was a ripoff. So promoters rip off bands probably a lot more than a band could ever 
or an artist could ever rip off a promoter. Well, so, I mean, yeah. shit, look at that's the look at the problem. fucking merch cuts. Oh yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, bands don't ask for a percentage of the bar. Don't ask for a percentage of our merch. I straight uh, up I, asked this. The, I asked this the other day, and actually, I take that back. It wasn't another day. It was like probably three or four months ago. I saw on Twitter band people talking. I think Tegan and Sarah made something, made a comment about buying like merch cuts or something to that effect. And someone commented or retweeted or whatever with a comment. And they go, this is why I tell everyone the best way to support a band is to buy a shirt at a show. Totally agree with that. And I, I prosed, I go, why not have the bigger talking point? You're there on a, on a contract. The venue saw value in bringing you through. Cause you're going to bring money to, to them and al- alcohol sales, whatever. So if that's in your contract and they bid to have you, why not start renegotiating renegotiating contracts where you'll take less money and they don't take a cut? So like straight up be like, we'll take 10% off of our guarantee, but we get 100% of our merch. Like why not start having the conversation where you change the conversation? And all I got back was, well, it's bigger than that. It, there's more people. And it's like, all you're doing is the same thing that everyone fucking does where it's like, stop being like, well, it happened to me. So this is just the way it is. Why not start being a part of the change and making something happen that will benefit you and everyone else coming behind you. Like everyone just seems to be stuck in. This I, fucking think, I think that booking a band to have a show, no matter how much you pay them, gives them the uh, right to bring in their merchandise. Sure. So that's, that's part of the buying of the of the show. But you you think so, that by ha- paying a guarantee, that means that you should get like the venue should get a merch cut of that or a cut of their merch? No. Oh, okay, no that's merch. what I'm saying. I'm saying that like basically they bands should maybe restructure or the the higher bands that have like you know booking agents and and all that kind of stuff. That maybe the conversation should be let's restructure the guarantee, and we get all of our merch. You take no merch cut but you don't pay us as much up front. And basically we'll call it a, a different version of a back end deal because I think that's horseshit. Cause really the venue's like, well, we're providing the space and you're like, okay, so like what you like, fine, I'll sell it out of the my back of my van or somewhere down the road off of your premises. And now you just have blank space doing nothing. Take a cut of that. You fucking dicks. Like, all right, but I, yeah, but uh, you know, um, promoters need shows to book. And they need to offer a guarantee. Now, whether that guarantee is what the band deserves or doesn't deserve, I mean, $32,000 for Naughty by Nature <laughs> is ridiculous. Yes. But if you're paying, you, if you're, if a band is on tour and they have 40 shows, the, the idea of going through all these minute details about merchandise and how much the, it's, it's too time consuming and nobody has time to do that, especially bands that are worried about having equipment and everything ready to go out on tour. A guarantee is a guarantee that the band will play. Some bands play for a guarantee and don't bring merch. So if a, band, if a promoter is going to buy a band for a show it just seems ethically and morally that that's an invitation that the band is using the stage. The band's fans are at the bar only because the band is there. If -hmm. the band sold tickets and their little setup of selling two or three t-shirts is their business. So the guarantee, trust me, most bands aren't going to make a profit from that guarantee. 
they make a profit from their merchandise. So the guarantee is put towards, depending on who it is, gas and paying people and rental on the van and actually buying more merchandise. Right. So it, it just it, the same argument, I think the equivalent argument for a venue wanting a band's merchandise is the same as the band saying, well, our fans are here buying drinks because we're here. So give us a percentage of the bar. It's the same thing. Hands down. There's no argument. The, the bar makes about uh, uh, an, um, an amount of money based off of the, the band's fans being in there. And if they didn't, you know, want to make the money from the bar for that band being there, then don't book them. Right. But right. I know, I know my fans drink, you know, I know my fans go to the bar and they, they buy drinks. Don't yeah, touch was, my brooch. Yeah. Well, I, I had literally, I had a show that I had booked and the person was in such a fucking hurry to get out and settle me out that before my national headliner was on, they settled me out and they're like, Oh, you didn't, you missed your bar sale. Uh, bonus by like 400 or $300. And I was like, I have like an hour and a half left. And like, I just watched all the opening bands start to go to the bar and start drinking Jaeger bombs at like 1250 a, sh- a shot. I, I think I could hit it. Probably drink for free. Bands usually drink for free. Well, no, not it. <laughs> that was the thing that the venue taught me is uh, <laughs> every show is different. Every promoter is different. There's different degrees of asshole. There's <laughs> the there's the asshole that you can talk into being fair. Then there's the asshole that doesn't want to be an asshole but feels like he knows what how the business runs and wants to give it a shot, see how much he can get away with. And at the very top you get the asshole that ends up ruining his career and his reputation by asking for ridiculous things. And the same thing goes with a band. You get the asshole band, you know, then you get the top, and their career ends too because word catches on. If you're going to ask a ridiculous amount of money for whatever you're doing, word's going <laughs> to spread, and nobody's going to want to work with you, whether you're a, a club or a band. And they yeah. all go under. Just be fair. I think it's yeah. fair if a band gets paid a guarantee that has nothing to do with the bar or their merch. The band shows up. They play. They do the gig. Hopefully they, they enjoy what they're doing. Hopefully they sell tickets enough to carry the guarantee, which doesn't matter because if three people show up, they're still obligated to pay the guarantee because that's what they committed to. Promoters buy shows, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, the promoter didn't promote it enough. And the, the, band, the promoter will say, I made a mistake. These guys have no fans. doesn't matter. The promoter loses there because they took on the show beforehand before it happened a band doesn't do anything for a promoter before a show happens they just agree to show up on that day and play yeah Yeah. so the promoter is kind of in the hole right from the beginning if they make a mistake on on um not being able to figure out what's going to happen and if they're going to make their money back that's too bad they can cancel the show but then they have cancellation fees that booking agencies have so The whole point is it's a gamble. You book a band for a certain amount of money, whether it's Metallica, Barbra Streisand, whatever. You book that show for a certain amount of money, and you could score and make three times that amount of money because you made a good deal. Or you could be a booking agency 
or are not a booking agent. Booking agencies are actually the middleman, but the promoters can promote and book a show and buy it from the booking agency. And if they make a mistake in giving too much money to a band that's not going to make it up and they bring their merchandise, it's the promoter's problem because they were the ones that stepped in first and took, you know, it's like putting $30 on red, $40 on red. If red pays out, you win. If it you lose, you lose. It's yeah. it's a gamble. Yeah. It's a gamble for everybody. It's a gamble for the bands. It's a gamble for the promoters, and it's a gamble for the booking agencies, and it's a gamble for whoever owns the venue as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's just how it works, but it balances out. People end up getting good reputations and bad reputations. People end up going under. Some people end up, you know, flourishing and moving on to bigger and better things. And that's just part of the gamble of it all. But I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But when somebody like Naughty by Nature comes around and says, give us $180,000 or we're only going to do 20 minutes. Well, they're just (laughs) screwing over their fans. They're not screwing the promoter over. They're screwing over their fans. Yeah. So that's, that's a really that's, unprofessional, ignorant way to look at doing a show is the amount of time that you're going to play based on how much you're getting paid because you're just going to piss off the people that came to see you if you only play for 30 minutes. Yep. And that word's going to catch on. This band only plays 30 minutes. Don't go see yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I, like I said, I haven't really told any of those stories, but. I, I find them funny because I, I just like I said the contract the writer everything was it's very amusing and then when it was just like very amusing when I was like I'm not paying that they're like well <laughs> here's a secondary option for know, cheaper you know what we don't even notice when we don't get our rider we don't even <laughs> notice it we have a rider that has certain things on it we just go in there we're off on our own doing our own thing we don't even notice if the red M&Ms were taken out of the uh, the fucking bowl yeah, usually, you know, there's been times even back when when we were playing our biggest gigs at House of Blues and Electric Factory, we never even noticed whether the rider was right or not. Who gives a shit about that? It's a respect <laughs> thing. Anybody that goes in and says, all right, let's make sure our rider is pinpoint perfect. Well, what? <laughs> who gives a fuck about that? Who cares? Yeah. What do you need on your rider? What is on your rider? A box of raisins? I, I don't know. I, that, it's just arrogant, egotistical, completely delusional, narcissistic, embarrassing. Embarrassing is the key word. I'm embarrassed for for naughty by nature by doing that. <laughs> I, wow. Yeah, well, imagine my shock when I got it, and I was like, "Well, imagine if everyone hit wonder was able to do that. Imagine if Vanilla Ice was able to do something like that." You know, these people were huge pop stars. The problem is, it was thirty years ago. There's a difference. Yeah, people <laughs> yeah, think a lot nostalgia... of people were famous thirty years ago who are not famous anymore. Yeah. I mean, nostalgia sells, but it, it only sells to a certain extent. And for, there's yeah, gotta be... for Limp Bizkit, yeah, it'll it'll sell for Limp Bizkit because they were around for ten years before everybody realized how ridiculous they were. But yeah, 
They had I, even, long, I, saw a, I saw a really interesting take the other day. They were like, what if Limp Bizkit always knew that they were just a, like, not a joke necessarily, but knew that they were exactly what they are, but everyone else made them out to be something bigger, and now they're kind of having the last laugh on kind of the resurgence that they're having here in the States at least. And they're, and everyone's just kind of now in on the actual quote unquote joke where they're like, we always were these guys. We always have been this way. You're just, well, now I know, not taking I know Wes, I know their guitar player Wes enough to uh, know the real answer to that fact. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but um, basically um, most members of that band thought they were legitimate and then they had people working for them that told them they were legitimate. And now they have people working for them because of how much money they made back then. They have people working for them now that are yes people. Yes, yes. People telling ha- telling them that um, they are still legitimate. So... It works out in that favor. Now, I don't know. I, I didn't care then. I don't care now. But I'm sure that nostalgia is paying them well. But I don't think it could happen without the people that have always been telling them, yes, yes, you're amazing. Yes, you're awesome. Yes, you're still amazing. Yes, you're still awesome. You know, there are people that are hired to tell them things like that to get to motivate them to, to do the embarrassing things that they do. Guess I've never really heard it articulated that way, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Unless somebody wants to, you know what? I welcome anybody to say, you know what? That Darren Miller guy is a fucking idiot. Here's how it really is. I challenge that. Anybody can can say whatever they want to try to prove me wrong, but that's pretty much how it works because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it go down. You know, I'm quite the uh, eavesdropper. (laughs) <laughs> I've always been quite. The they always say those are those that are the quietest. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's why, like working at a bar, taught me that. Working door at a bar, I worked at a small dive bar here in town, and a lot of people were like, "You don't talk very much." And I go, "If I had to talk over all of the bar noise, all the music, everything, I my voice like every day that I worked here." I, I, I. It's funny that you said that because. You know, what I found myself doing is um, the last tour we did, the only thing that I say one thing to everybody, and that is, I can't hear you. We can't talk. And then there is no conversation of us trying to hear over each other, all the noise. I just say, they're like, I'm like, and I just say, the only thing I make sure they can hear is, I can't hear you, so we can't talk right now. And then that's it. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it was interesting to, to watch a lot of people and it taught me a lot about mannerism and mannerisms and habits of people of all different types, walks of life and so forth. How, you know, kind of getting a glimpse into even like, Oh, I probably do that sometimes punishing people at times as well. <laughs> and I'm just like, probably need to be more aware of when I'm doing that, like based on body language or things like that. So definitely, uh, Definitely a thing I think uh, a lot of people don't do enough of is is kind of being quiet and being more observant than talking and being the loudest one in the room. Yeah, shut your mouth and listen. 100%. I think that's actually, uh, I got to go, speaking of uh, shutting your mouth and listen, I got to go, well, that's a, that's a bad segue. 
<laughs> I actually need to go uh, hang out with my wife before I go to work in about an hour. So uh, it was really great talking to you. There's a couple more things that I would love to get into horror movies and stuff like that. I was actually going to segue Let's into talking again. about we'll uh, Let's do it again. Let's do it again and we'll get into all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so lastly, where can everyone find you or anything you would like to plug uh, online for as much as you don't like online stuff? <laughs> the album Synergy Restores November 4th coming out. Physical formats go and download it uh, on Amazon. Uh, stream it. Where You know, the obvious socials. If you were going to look up a band, you would go Twitter at 96 bitter google it you know um i'd love to hear from anybody i talk to anybody everybody i get back to everybody that leaves a comment or sends a message um i'm just happy to have the attention of anybody that gives a shit absolutely you selling off any of your personal collection there behind you or are those well, actually yeah, the ones that are shipping out no, well, these are uh, this is the the vinyl for Synergy Restored. Right, I just didn't know if those were like if you were actually in charge of shipping those out or are those are your personal ones that you're. Oh, keeping I'm in yourself? charge of shipping them out. Yeah, the label actually was cool enough to make a limited edition for my particular store. Okay, for the band that's awesome for the band store, and um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because I was like, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of records to ship out, but I have shipped out. <laughs> Probably at this point, I have, in my life, I probably shipped out 8,500, 9,000 vinyl and CDs out of this very room. So, yeah, this will be this will be a piece of cake. <laughs> well, it was good talking to you. Yeah, you it was good talking to you and uh, looking forward to the next time we get to chat. Me too. Thanks, John. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, everybody. So that was my conversation with Darren Miller, again, of 96 Bitter Beings, formerly of CKY. Really enjoyed this chat. Uh, definitely kind of opened myself up a little bit more than I have uh, about some of my booking career. Um, obviously, the green jello thing kind of is what launched it. Um, you know, sometimes I I say this all the time to people not on record, not on the show, that I, I feel like I have to over-explain some of the experiences I've gotten through doing different things within the industry of, of music. And it's not because I, I feel like I have to like, well, look at me, look at what I've done. It's more because when most people listen to a podcast, you know, well, I'll use someone like a Doc Coyle. If you're listening to the X-Man podcast, you know that Doc was in God Forbid. You know he's toured. You know he's done all these things. Obviously, he's in Bad Wolf. So he has decades of music industry insider behind the scenes information that he's accrued over the time of just being him doing the thing. No one knows what I've done, and when I bring up stories, kind of, or I relay things that I know, sometimes I feel like I have to kind of explain why, because you don't know what I've done. I've never been in a band anyone can... You can Google the band I was in for a little bit, and you can find some stuff from other bands I was in, um, but I was never known for being in a band. I, For the most part, no one knows what the fuck I've done, and so this was really one of the first experiences of of me talking about some of the things I've done. And I don't say them to be braggy or anything like that, but these are these are the stories I've acquired doing different things in the music industry. The Naughty by Nature story is one of my favorites because it was a fucking shock to get that contract and to get the fucking writer and just be like, 
what the fuck? This is like so much. Like I laughed. I literally laughed when I got the contract because I was on the phone with their management and their booking agent. And they're like, oh, did we send over the contract and the writer? And I go, no. And then they sent it to me like in an email as I was on the phone with them. And I just started laughing because it was preposterous. It was so fucking, it was so ridiculous. And the guy's like, what's so funny? And I go, this contract, mainly the writer, like the money, like it's whatever. Like we can kind of figure that out. But the, the writer is fucking ridiculous. And, you know, you hear all these stories of just outrageous writer demands of like, make sure to, you know, get me the peanut M&Ms and take all the green ones out. Like it's not, sometimes it's not because people are assholes and they don't want the fucking green M&Ms. It's because they want you to know that they, they want to know that you're actually reading the fucking writer and the contract and, and making sure that everything is taken care of. If you can walk into a room and see no green M&Ms and they know that the rest of the contract and all the things are taken care of and that you take this seriously. I fucking understand it. But then you also have people who are doing it just to fucking, because they can, because no one says no. <laughs> and it's fucking baffling to sometimes see some of these things. I remember getting a tour package and the opening band was like, we want, I think it was like two Hustler magazines and like $40 worth of scratch-offs, uh, and just like went on. And I remember like, I was like, no. Like, you're the opening man. I ain't doing this shit. And you're asking for more stuff than the headliner. And I remember just, like, going to... Because the dude that was advancing advancing the tour was someone in the headlining band. And I go, do I really have to buy this shit? Because I don't want to. And I and I kind of, like, I'm going to put my foot down. And I remember he was like, no. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I go, he goes, I advanced you the show and everything we needed. That was for the whole tour package. And I go, oh, because I got an email individually from the band. And then he was like, oh, well, that shit don't fly. So... It's just funny to, to kind of remember some of these things and, and just kind of have Darren tell his stories, too, of, you know, doing weird shit and some of the writer demands and some of the things and bands that he's played with because he's played with some fucking great bands, getting handpicked to open for Guns N' Roses. Um, that's wild. I actually just was listening to Radio Bam. I've been going back through and listening to that show uh, recently and have been, ironically, yesterday was the episode where I guess they had just got done touring with uh, Guns N' Roses and Darren and, and Jess were talking about, you know, some of the like riots and shit like that that happened on the tour because Axel would be non not showing up. Like, I think there was one they were like, oh, we, we were ready to play the uh, TM for Guns N' Roses. Is like, so Axel isn't showing up. He's literally at like a baseball game, like across town or something. And then something like shit popped off. And I just kind of laugh because I'm like, those are the kind of stories I, I love hearing because it, it's. It's so weird and it's so avoidable and it's so it's so rock star shit. Um, and I think that's what we all love. But at the end of the day, everyone is people. We are all people that choose to work in this this industry, and it's it's wild. It's a wild ass journey. Um, so I love talking to Darren. I loved. <laughs> I kind of loved his take on you know Metallica and the Stranger Things thing. Um, I think we had kind of differing opinions. I thought it was just more of like, I didn't enjoy it because I hated all the gatekeepy bullshit, uh, that has spurned from it instead of being, you know, welcoming to people finding metal. Uh, he obviously was like, we don't need <laughs> to have Metallica get that opportunity. They don't need it. Um, and that's a, that's a different vantage point. I never really thought of, but I, I do kind of agree with it. You know, as Jossa constantly says, says, you know, high tide raises all ships, but also let a caveman live, throw, throw a bone to the next person. You know, kind of uh, bring up the next generation, and Stranger Things definitely could have done that. 
Um, all of that said, let's start wrapping up this episode. If you would like to keep up with 96 Bitter Beings, you can find them on Facebook at 96BB Music, Instagram at 96 Bitter Beings Official, and Twitter at 96BB Official as well. If you would like to keep up with Darren, you can find him on Instagram at Darren Miller underscore official and Twitter at Darren Miller 96. Uh, I want to thank him again for taking the time. Go pick up the new record, Synergy Restored. I'm looking forward to finally hearing the rest of it and catching the band when they're back out on tour in support of this record. And speaking of support, uh, go support our sponsors for the podcast. They help us out tremendously, uh, keeping the lights on, making all the bills uh, and so forth associated with the podcast. Way easier to maintain. Rockabilia.com. Go pick up something over there. The holidays are fast approaching. They have over 500,000 items in their online store. I actually was just texting with Frankie the other day. He is picking up 600 pallets of merchandise from a friend's store down in Pennsylvania uh, that is going to be going up into the Rockabilia store. So I guarantee there will be something that you would like or know someone that would like something from their website. Use our code BRUTALLY at checkout to get 10% off your total purchase order. Save some money right around the holiday time. Do it. Also want to thank Starving Artist Brewing for everything that they are continuing to do for us. Uh, Very much excited to get my first package of beer. Uh, We are doing... A lot of things that I'm excited to, to talk about, uh, and all will be revealed soon enough. Uh, go check out Starving Artist Brewing. Um, tell them that we sent you over here at the podcast. Uh, huge thanks to them. And On Point Palmade, keep your beard and hair looking on point. Holidays are fast approaching, so you don't want to look like a schlub in front of all your family photos and family. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. Last but not least, the Bean Bastard Coffee. The cold months are fast approaching. Coffee is the thing I know a lot of you love. Warms you up in the beginning of the day, cold days, whatever. Beanbaster.com. Pick up some delicious coffee. They got handmade soaps, candles, so many other things. Again, holidays are right around the corner. Go spoil yourself. Go spoil a friend, family, loved one. And if you're in the Buffalo, New York area, go check out the store. Uh, It's a great little coffee shop. I enjoyed my time there immensely. I can't wait to go back. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I'll see you next time with Sam from the Bobby Lees. Talk to you all then.